Hey everyone, it's Rima. So this week we've got a rerun for you all. It's one of my favorite episodes. At its heart, it's a story about how our past can follow us, seeping into our relationships and how we handle money. Hope y'all like it. In the spring of 2013, Lindsay Galbraith and her family were driving back to their home in Minneapolis after a short vacation. While they were gone, there'd been a crazy storm, but they hadn't realized just how strong it was until they got back to their house. And a tree fell on our house. I did not expect that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) There was a huge silver maple next door, and a giant branch of it fell onto my house. As they pulled into their driveway and surveyed the damage, they saw that the tree had collapsed the ceiling of her daughter's bedroom. A tree falling on your house is never great, but it could really not have come at a worse time. Lindsay was six months pregnant and raising her two-year-old daughter while also going to school and holding down a part-time job. Money was especially tight because her husband had recently lost his job and was also in school full-time. And now, because of this tree, they would need to move into a rental house and figure out how to fix their roof. And Lindsay knew that responsibility would fall to her. She basically ran the household. I owned a home that I bought um, at the very, very beginning of our relationship. And so I owned the house, all the bills were in my name. And when he moved in with me, whenever I needed some money to pay whatever utilities or bills or groceries or whatever it was, like, I would just ask him and he'd give me some money. Instead of having joint finances, Lindsay was in charge of it all. And when it came time to pay the bills, she would just let her husband know how much he needed to chip in. But now, since he wasn't working, he gave her money he got from his student loan disbursements and his unemployment checks. To Lindsay, their system had been working fine. But now this roof repair was going to make things extra tight. So one evening, while they were staying in that rental, after she put her daughter to bed, Lindsay sat in the living room at a small round table, pouring over their bills, trying to figure out how to make this all work. And I had my laptop open and I was looking at, you know, bank statements and and just the money that I needed and looking at the last time that he had given me money. And it just, I was like, this this isn't adding up. What wasn't adding up? Exactly. I mean, literally the the money that he was telling me that he was was spending or the money he said he had given to me for bills. I, it just it was like, well, that's not that's not right. Like I'm doing the math here. Like <laughs> literally I'm looking at these bank statements and I'm looking at my checkbook register and that's this doesn't make sense. So Lindsay turned to her husband, who was sitting across the room on the couch. I knew in my gut that he was lying about something, and I didn't know what, but I knew it. I'm Rima Grace, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This week, trust, finances, and the aftermath of a betrayal. Lindsay and her husband first met at a fish market where he worked. He was cute and he was um, funny. He was very charming. They'd flirt with each other and eventually they started dating. Lindsay was a little wary. She'd had some bad experiences with ex-boyfriends who'd been dishonest. So she just had one rule. Like any kind of bad behavior, any kind of, you know, like 
I can deal with it. Just don't lie to me, you know? After three years of dating, they got married. Their relationship moved so seamlessly that Lindsay didn't even think to talk to him about finances. I was aware of the statistics about, like, so many divorces end over money. And I just, I was like, well, that's not going to be us. Like, we are good at communicating. We can figure things out. Like, we we have this kind of good dynamic going. And mm-hmm. um, But it doesn't sound like y'all were ever openly talking about money. No, no, we weren't. But a couple years into their marriage, Lindsay was really wishing they had, as she sat at that kitchen table in the rental home, confused by their bank statements. Lindsay turned to her husband and told him, I don't get it. Why aren't these bills adding up? Her husband said nothing. He just looked at her, got up from the couch, and went to the basement. When he finally comes back, he's got a packed bag of clothes and toiletries, fully expecting Lindsay to kick him out of the house for what he was about to tell her. And he showed me his bank account on his phone, and it was hundreds of dollars in the hole, overdrawn. And um, he said, I don't, I don't have any money. He had stopped receiving unemployment checks, but never told her. When he lost his job, he said that going to school would be his full-time job, and they'd been living partly off of his student loans. I asked about student loans, And, I mean, what he told me next was so, just, honestly, traumatizing. He said, I I dropped out of school last fall. So he hadn't been going to school? He hadn't been going to school. And I asked him where he had been going, and he said sometimes he would go to campus, Sometimes he would go over to his friend's house. Sometimes he would just, like, go sit in a coffee shop or a bar. The betrayal wasn't just about money. It was almost like he'd been leading a double life. Lindsay told him, I'm going to need some time. That night, he slept in the basement. And I remember going into the bedroom and, and um like sobbing and not being able to breathe and and just feeling really scared. Everything in Lindsay's life felt out of control. For days, the stress consumed her, her mind racing with questions. We we were in the middle of this insurance claim and I was very pregnant with my son and I I thought like how are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to have to sell the house? Are we going to, like, split up? Like, there was a, about a solid week there where I thought we would have to give my son up for adoption. I, I truly thought that there was no way we could have a baby in these circumstances. Lindsay says her husband was apologetic. He set up a meeting with a financial counselor to make a plan for his money. But deep down, she knew the damage was done. I had so much mistrust at that point with him that like we'd be getting in the car to go somewhere and he'd be like oh I have to go back inside to go grab something and I'd follow him inside and be like what are you getting what are you doing because I just I didn't trust anything at that point after couples counseling and two years of trying to work through things they got a divorce 
So when you divorced, how much debt did you have? A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. I um, I probably had six figures in student loans and um, probably around, you know, five grand or so in credit card debt. How did the divorce change your perspective on marriage, if at all? Well, I didn't want to get married ever again, and I was not interested in integrating somebody I was dating into my life at all. If she did date at all, she decided she would start to set new, stricter boundaries for herself, make her limits clear from the beginning. And what sorts of things were you telling yourself uh, about dating and money? Um, occasionally I'd go on a date and, you know, the guy would offer to pay and, and I'd say, you know, it's, it's fine, you don't need to do that. I was going to go Dutch with, with everybody. And whenever I went out with anybody, it was, I, I would just pay for myself. She started dating, set up an account on OkCupid, but kept it mostly casual. And that's when she came across Chris's profile. She thought Chris was cute. She was intrigued that he was British. And she sent him a message. And they agreed to meet for a drink. When Lindsay got to the cocktail bar, Chris was already there. Right away, she felt an attraction. He was wearing a white collarless button-down shirt with a like a tweed vest over it. It was very cute. Do you happen to remember what you talked about? I think one of the things that I really like to talk about is relationships. So I think I probably quickly started talking about relationships, which... Wait, so like, were you talking about your ex-husband or just like conceptually relationships? Um, I, <laughs> gosh, did I bring up my ex-husband? I... I it's like the one thing they tell you not to. Right, remember. right. I don't remember if I did or not. I kind of don't think so. She absolutely did talk about him at length. And that is Chris, Lindsay's date. And she was like, ex-husband, a tree fell on my house. Like, it just all came out. And it was like, I came away with a sense that like, wow, this person's been through some stuff recently. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Chris and Lindsay. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Chris had moved to the U.S. from a small town in England, where he had a tight-knit group of friends. And the transition from that to Minnesota was tough. He was lonely. I had found in kind of the first couple of years of living in Minnesota that it's, it's very difficult to make friends here. He'd just gotten out of a marriage, and every time Chris thought he'd hit it off with someone, platonically or romantically, things tended to fizzle out. 
So he was very pleasantly surprised to find himself in that dimly lit bar sitting across from Lindsay, connecting quickly and intensely. He wasn't turned off by the fact that she talked about her ex-husband. In fact, he appreciated how she was willing to open up about real stuff. After that night, they quickly started dating. Things between them felt really natural. They'd go on runs together, sushi dates, and were constantly texting each other about their days. They kept things pretty casual, still seeing other people. And from the start, Lindsay was very clear about establishing some boundaries. It was like, I'll see you once a week. Uh, You won't meet my kids. You know, I will pay for myself, you will pay for yourself. And it was very, like, specific. Like when they'd go out to eat, Chris would suggest they just alternate who picked up the tab. And Lindsay would bristle at that. This kind of thing didn't matter much to Chris, but it was clear it mattered a lot to Lindsay. I got a sense very early on that some of that came from trauma. I was constantly trying to balance wanting to level up the relationship in some ways with really trying to be respectful of the fact that she very clearly was going to need time to come around to certain things. But over time, he could see Lindsay was beginning to trust him. She eventually introduced him to her kids. A little while after that, they went to a friend's wedding together in Alaska. Things were getting serious. Except for when it came to money. Lindsay would let him pay for dinner every now and then, but she kept the big things, like her debt, to herself. Then about a year into their relationship, on a very cold day in January of 2018, Lindsay and Chris were playing hooky from work. Which, like was something that I had never done before. <laughs> but it was, it was just, like, fun and exciting to do. Um, just like, oh, I don't have very many meetings. Do you want to call in sick? Yeah, let's, let's just call in and skip work today. They were at Lindsay's house, and after spending the morning in bed, they made some lunch and sat down on the couch. This time around, it was Chris talking about his past relationship. And he was talking about how... How he and his ex um, budgeted and how they just, like, combined all their finances and, um, like, all their money, all their income into one pot. And they both gave themselves, I think it was, like, $400 every two weeks for their personal allowance. $400 just to spend on fun stuff. And I remember being like, that's so much money. Like... I can't afford to give myself that much money. But Chris was like, well, wait a second. I bet if you shifted some things around, get your finances organized, you could give yourself more money than you are now. He was like, well, let's put together a budget for you. Like, how much are your paychecks? When do you get paid? And then what are all your bills? And we have her on my laptop. And I'm like there with a big smile being like, this is awesome. This is fun. We're having fun. It's going to be great. Chris is a huge nerd when it comes to spreadsheets. He's created this very detailed budgeting spreadsheet that he loves. Seriously, he spent half an hour explaining it to me in detail. And so this column is basically anytime you enter a number in a cell corresponding with a You can go in and enter this one figure and then at the end of it you have a year's worth of in theory a spreadsheet. You would have this amount of money 12 months from now in your bank. This is getting so geeky now. Like I, one of the things that I, I know, like now it's getting geeky, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we've just crossed the threshold. 
I'm not going to get into the details, but basically the spreadsheet lets you map out all of your expected bills and expenses over the course of a year so that you can easily see how much money you'll have month to month. And while Chris was having the time of his life in his corner of the couch, Lindsay was having a very different experience. I felt very vulnerable. I, I definitely, I felt like I was showing him something that I didn't feel entirely comfortable showing to him at that point. Yeah. And, and like, what do you, what do you think you were afraid of? Um, I, I think I was afraid of judgment. It seemed to me that like he had a shit together with money. Like he knew what he was doing with money and he was very good with it and with budgeting and, and planning for the future. And I was not. Even though she'd always managed her own finances, even when she was married, it was never at this level of detail. She'd always just kind of tried to survive financially. But it wasn't just that he was seeing the cold, hard numbers. Chris started explaining to her how, in his marriage, he used the spreadsheet system to help his partner pay off her student loans. He mentioned it in passing, like it was nothing. He talked about how he wanted to prioritize paying those off. And he out-earned her by, I think, like Mm $15,000, $15,000, But he was the one who suggested that they should just pool all their money and put it all into one pot. And um, I remember thinking, but you paid so much of her student loan debt, and that wasn't your debt. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, it's, that's fine. Like, it needed to be paid off. It was debt. I just was like, don't you feel resentful about that? Don't you, don't you regret that? Like, because I would. <laughs> Chris had happily, willingly merged his finances with his ex to help her pay off her debt. In a serious relationship, he saw money and debt as something jointly shared. But given her experiences, Lindsay couldn't fathom merging finances with someone like this, much less taking on someone else's debt. I mean, I remember just, like, kind of going inside myself and, and like, being really quiet. I was feeling like, well, am I, like, wrong or, like, bad for feeling like I wouldn't want to help my partner pay off their student loan debt? Lindsay didn't have the words at the time to tell him how she was feeling. But the more into the spreadsheet they got, the better she actually felt. She really liked being able to see what her financial situation might look like months from now. It was empowering. After the spreadsheet moment, things kept getting serious. Chris eventually moved in, and now they've been together for four years. We have no plans to get married. Like, neither of us wants that. But, like, we are planning on being together, like, for the rest of our lives. Like, that is the plan. Lindsay and Chris are on the same page about a lot of big things, like not getting married. Chris is committed to helping her raise her kids, and they also dream of buying a house together. But even four years into this relationship, there's still sticking points around money— I spent hours talking to Chris and Lindsay about it, and they were incredibly honest with each other about what they like and don't like about how they manage their money. Basically, what you need to know is that their biggest disagreement is over who's in charge. 
Chris wants it to be a shared responsibility, to have a shared bank account. But Lindsay's not comfortable combining finances like that. Instead, each month, a chunk of Chris's paycheck automatically gets deposited into Lindsay's bank account, and then she buys the groceries and pays the bills. I'm very comfortable with this arrangement. How do you feel about it, Chris? To some extent, that does feel a bit, like, infantilizing seems a bit too extreme, but it's it's almost like it's setting up a bit of a dangerous kind of parent-child dynamic, which is like, you know, potentially death for many relationships. <laughs> you know, actually, I disagree that it's like a parent-child kind of dynamic with that. Like, I can see being uncomfortable with being dependent on another person to pay the bills. Like, I would sort of hate that if, like, I were just giving you my money and trusting that you were going to pay all the bills. Like, that that just, like, makes me feel very, like, a little bit anxious. For you, it's it's a question of trust. And I know I know that doesn't mean that you don't trust that I'm good with money. It's just there's a certain level of control that you don't want to give up around that. Whereas there's no anxiety around that for me. But it almost feels like I'm kind of conceding some level of adult responsibility to you that I should have. And for Chris, ceding this control has led to disagreements over how they budget. For example, during the pandemic, their grocery bill kept going over. But Chris didn't know about it until Lindsay told him after the fact. And I found that very frustrating um, because that really tapped into one of the ways in which I don't like to manage money. Chris likes to do what he calls manufacturing scarcity, basically giving himself an intentionally tight budget for groceries or going out to eat so he doesn't overspend and can save money. Throughout this conversation, Chris kept suggesting they pool their money together in an account that he also has access to so he can budget the way he likes. But Lindsay did not want to get behind that. What I don't want is to have, I just, the whole, like, let's just pool all of our money together and then do, like, I don't want to do the manufactured scarcity thing. I'm, like, fairly frugal and, like, I don't need those guardrails. And I also don't want to have scrutiny on what I'm spending my money on. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be hands-on with what you buy and, like, police what you're buying with your money. That's your money. You get to decide. And I also don't want you to be scrutinizing my purchases. There, there's so many things I want to unpack in that that, <laughs> that we don't have time. <laughs> there's the real main thing that I want to stress is, like, I want to ask you to look at it and acknowledge that a lot of the reason that it's very comfortable for you is not so much because it's effective and functional, but because it's required you not to change anything. The system that we have is the system that you had before I moved here. And so you have not changed the way that you manage your finances, even in a minuscule way. Whereas I have changed almost everything about the way that I manage my finances. But I want you to hear me saying, like, I want to feel some sense of ownership around our joint management of finances. For Lindsay, a lot of her resistance is coming from what Chris mentioned earlier. 
She wants to maintain a sense of control after her past experiences with her ex-husband. It feels to me like for you there is just these hurdles that have been put up through from past relationships that I cannot get over um, in our relationship. You know, like your marriage ended up being a situation where essentially your money was all pulled together. And the result of that was that you did get taken advantage of. So I I think that what this comes down to, and we have talked about this, is you are doing more prep for a potential exit strategy than I am. You are being more mindful of, if we break up, do I come out equitably with the amount that I deserve to come out with? I you I mean you're you're right that it is like really about like what happens if we break up. Like if I could know with absolute certainty that we're together for the rest of our lives, like I I might feel differently. I might feel less anxious about pooling money. And I don't think like I, I think we have a real shot at making it. <laughs> and I think if that happens, you're much more likely to be the one counting the dollars and cents. Oh, hell yeah. To make sure that <laughs> you come away with exactly as much as you should come away with. It's not just that if they break up, Lindsay is worried she won't get her fair share back. She worries that intertwining their finances could lead them to a breakup, or at least to a lot of fighting. Like, there will be some situation in which one of us isn't happy with the way the other person is spending money and it becomes contentious. Like right now we don't, we don't have that. But those are all negotiations that we could have. Like those are all individual conversations that we could have where we sit down and say, okay, which things are we socializing? Like which things are we deciding are part of the joint pool and which aren't. Well, it's funny because hearing you all talk about your finances and whether you should pool it together or keep it separate and the resentment that it may cause. And it makes me feel like a lot of this could be resolved, though, by getting married and having and and, (laughs) no, but having a prenup. Okay, everyone. Great talk. Bye. Where's the leave button? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. no, they're definitely not trying to get married. Throughout the conversation, Chris tried to convince Lindsay to pull their money. But at the same time, he did tell her, I get it. I really do understand why you're not on board. As much as I can say, like, this situation would work really well for us, you were in a similar situation to that with someone else, and it did not work out well for you. And so, like, I am mindful of that, and that makes it more difficult to make it about me when I think about that, because I just don't think this is about me. No, it's not about you at all. Right. Like, I, I do trust you, and I, I know that you are very responsible with money and that you are not trying to swindle me in any way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, it's that I'm, I just, when I, when I think about it, like, super logically, I'm like, yes, the, that would be totally fine. But just, like, it makes me feel kind of anxious. It makes her anxious because, like for so many of us, our values around money are warped and influenced by our past. 
and that can make it hard to change or to compromise. And Chris often finds himself doing this delicate dance of being mindful of Lindsay's boundaries while also trying to honor his own needs and how they manage their money. He knows fully combining their finances isn't something Lindsay wants. But about an hour into their conversation, he makes a pitch for at least a shared account for groceries. At some point, there's got to be an integration or a sharing of like, the responsibilities where we both feel like it's a process that we can engage with and have control over. Even if it was just like, you know, to me, like having a bank account alongside a credit card, that small extra step adds a level of control for me or a level of ownership over the process that makes me feel as if I have some equal level of say in our groceries. Okay, we can get a joint <laughs> bank account for the groceries. That's fine. I think we should use podcast interviews to mediate all of our financial <laughs> conversations. <laughs> You'd think after sharing some of the cracks in your relationship on a podcast for strangers to consume, you'd leave feeling exposed or vulnerable. But after our conversation, after unpacking everything, they emailed me to share just how mushy they were feeling about each other, that the conversation helped them understand each other more, almost like a recommitment to figuring this out. And a few months after our talk, they told me they agreed to open a credit card together. It's a step forward and a step away from an exit strategy. This episode was first published in May of 2021. I checked in with them recently, and they say they're still using that credit card, and not just for groceries, but also for gas, household bills, and some vacations. They also opened a joint savings account. But they still have their own personal budgets, and they use their own cards when they go out to eat. Lindsay is still nervous about completely pooling their money together. But she says, who knows, maybe one day she'll change her mind. All right, that is all for this week. But before we go, just want to remind you to subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. We've always got great recommendations in there for things to watch and read and listen to. You can subscribe by going to marketplace.org slash comfort. Also, if you ever want to reach me and the team, you can always email us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. This episode was lead produced by Haley Hirschman and hosted by me, Rima Hreis. It also got editorial support from producers Megan Dietrich, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Marque Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. 
They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.